0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd Middle Initial C. Walker. Yes, that's right. It's me. And I have one of my favorite friends sitting across the living room from me right now as our guest today, Chris McLaughlin, and uh, his dog, Timmy, is, is right by our feet chewing on one of his little stuffed toys. And you may hear him in the background at some point if he ends up looking out the front window and sees a dog taking a walk along the sidewalk. He doesn't like the dogs unless they're, what did you say, orange.
1: They need to be orange and fluffy.
0: Orange and fluffy.
1: One of his best friends is orange and fluffy.
0: Well, Chris, thank you one for joining me. This is gonna be a lot of fun for me. And uh, what you folks don't know is we've been sitting for the past hour just chatting about life and, and, and what has happened because obviously during COVID we didn't get to see each other very much, which happened to everyone. And so we had not had a chance to really catch up on life and what was going on in our particular lives during that time. So this was a a fun day to do it. And now we're going to talk about Chris and guitars and music and things like that. And I do want to ask you, because you had mentioned it earlier when we were off mic, that you still have your first guitar. Tell me
1: about that. Yeah, I, I... I wanted to play guitar um, probably from second or third grade on, because as most uh, men and women who were raised, uh, born or raised in the 50s and 60s, know in their heart, at the back of every comic book, there's a picture of uh, a young guy sitting at the beach, and he's got a guitar in his hands. And sitting across from him is a... A young woman in a hoop skirt, and the advertisement was it made it crystal clear that if you played guitars, girls would like you. So that—that's why I aspired <laughs> <laughs> to play guitar, and it worked. I was going to ask you if it was you were successful in that. Uh, my wife uh, says yes. Uh, yeah, musicians are totally cool, apparently. But um, I actually didn't learn to play uh for quite some time i played with a guitar so my parents uh for christmas one year they bought me a stella musicians understand a stella is basically two three-quarter inch pieces of plywood <laughs> <laughs> with a hole cut in it and some coat hangers stretched across It was just horrific yeah, my first guitar was a stella as well i know exactly what you're okay. talking about so that's not really a guitar <laughs> That's that's uh, something to give a child so they think they have a guitar, and um, I went to the music store at the mall. It was right right next door to Sears. Um, for those of you that remember that place, and um, it was too expensive, I I couldn't afford it. Um, that was in 1965, uh, and uh, I asked my mother if she would uh, loan me the money. And uh, being from a family of 13 children, no twins, uh, there was no such thing as money for guitars. And uh, she said, yes, but don't tell your father. (laughs) And I, I, uh, so I I think the guitar was, um, might have been $65 even, something like that. But it was a Harmony Sovereign. It has a model number, which nobody cares about. But it's also an iconic uh, guitar. It was the same model that Stairway to Heaven was written on. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was called the Poor Man's Martin. You know, guitarists really get tired of people comparing guitars to Martins.
0: (laughs) Well, but I understand why they do. But you're absolutely correct in that, that the Harmony Sovereign was... I mean, John Sebastian played one among other people. uh, One of my favorite bands from the 1960s from Worcester, Massachusetts, Orpheus, the lead guitarist, played a Harmony Sovereign. So it was a a very, very affordable, good guitar at the time.
1: I loved it. Um, My older brother borrowed it without permission one day and left it in a locked car in the middle of the summer because... He knew how precious it was to me and Todd's looking at me like you, you you left a guitar that's held together by animal hide glue in a hot car and and any luthier will tell you that is a great way to get that guitar to come apart and it did. By the time he got back to the car the neck was at a 35 degree angle <laughs> from the body. <clears throat> I was upset with him and uh, I I... Straightened it out, and years later had a luthier um, set the intonation properly again. And I've I've kept it. Um, it um, bears the scars of uh, an M16 falling against it from uh, my military days, started in the early '70s. And um, I I'm not a person that attaches a lot of emotional value to objects, but um, my, my sisters and other people who have emotional intelligence, including my wife, Stephanie, um, have helped me understand that even if I don't, other people do, but that's one object that does carry um, a, a spiritual basis for its existence. So um, the internet is fantastic and I used it to become an amateur luthier and taught myself how to French polish. And uh, so I repaired the guitar um, and I I play it to this day. It's one of my favorite instruments.
0: Well, the first time you showed it to me, you had it in the back of your Tucson. We were looking at houses and you said, I want to show you my first guitar. And you pulled it out. It's beautiful. And that's when you told me that you had refinished it. And that's not something I could ever do, but I'm absolutely amazed that you did it and you did it in an incredibly successful fashion. It looks like a brand new, it probably looks
1: better than it did when it was new. Yeah, I, I, um, one of the things I've learned about myself from other people is I really love, uh, taking, something that appears to have gone beyond its useful lifespan and restoring it whether it's a vw camper or a guitar or you know some piece of equipment it uh, just gives me pleasure to take things apart and apart and make them new again
0: well for the for the guitar players out there who would never even think of refinishing their acoustic guitar How long of a process was that?
1: It's a patient process. Um, Those men and women that do it for a living uh, can be quite fleet-footed about it. Um, But for me, it was um, baby steps because I also know that that's probably a a really great way to destroy something. (laughs) So it started with little improvements. For example, putting some Grover tuners on it, which weigh a lot more. And, and I realize I'm speaking to guitarists now that understand if you put a fossilized bone nut and toe and bridge, when you when you add mass, you add more to the bass line. Um, and then trying out different strings and um, gently clamping bits and pieces. So the, the answer to your question was, as a labor of love, it, it probably took, two or three months of going back to it. It's kind of like a good book. You know, you almost hate to burn through it in a single day, and, but, but you just can't leave it alone. You want to get back to it. And so um, it was just such a, such a pleasure to take one step at a time. Now, did you notice, you've
0: alluded to that, but did you notice an improvement in tone from prior to your doing the, the refinishing work or all the things that you did to it and after?
1: Oh yes. Um, so something else that you hear about musical instruments, from a Stradivarius to a Martin, um, is that they improve uh, over time with playing. And there's actually a, there's a scientific reason for that. As as you handle it, you know the uh, the guitar is a living, breathing thing, as as most wooden instruments are. And as the year goes on, you, you notice that boy, your florists sure do creak when it's so dry in the winter. And then they calm down and get quiet as they get some moisture in the more humid months and the wood expands. Um, the guitar is the same way. So as that, that wood uh, expands and contracts, uh, that, the top of that guitar and the sides and everything about it, it's actually um, getting tighter. It's becoming more brittle and more resonant. In fact, uh, the, the act of playing the guitar is vibrating every cell in it and moving them. And so as it gets tighter and harder, it, it can become more resonant. Um, I, I think it sounds beautiful now. Maybe we'll have to uh, take turns playing it a little later. Oh, absolutely.
0: By featuring John Bellion on Amazon Music.
1: How about that? Now, did you call call up? I did not, and uh, everyone bear with me while I tell the spy. Alexa, stop. <laughs> See, I don't have Alexa in,
0: in, in my house, and so it's... a. Uh, how many times have you ordered pizza by mistake?
1: Never, but sometimes words can sound like that. That's why we refer to it as the spy. <laughs> we literally will sit around and, and do an experiment and talk about, wouldn't it be great if we had a moped? I would love to purchase a moped. And then just wait to see how long before suddenly in your feed, on whatever social media or even in your browser, and suddenly there they are. You know, I I'm looking for tickets to... Italy or some location and there's an ad that says do you want to rent a moped while you're there? <laughs> you know, um, It's if- almost scary. I mean, I shouldn't say it's almost
0: scary. It is scary. Absolutely. I had someone tell me one time and it, what didn't tell me told, me told the whole room it was a real estate seminar or something where they were talking about economics and financial things and he held up a credit card. And he says, how many of you folks in the audience have one of these? Of course, everybody raises their hand. He said, do you know that little strip on the back, the magnetic strip? Everybody goes, yeah. And he says, if you knew what was on that, you would throw the thing away and put it in the, the dumpster. He says, your entire life is on that little magnetic strip, which is similar to, you're right. When you, I will inquire about something online, and when I go to check the news or I go to check whatever there, there are the ads for that, just like you said, the moped ads
1: it's amazing those cards, if you pull the one out that you're, you''re in your wallet now there are there are three technologies in it well technically, I guess you would say there are four if you if you could go back in time, you could still roll a carbon paper over that and make a purchase with it. Uh, that's one technology. The mags strip, as you refer to, that's, that's the second. And you're right about the amount of data that's there. And the other two, uh, one is the chip. Uh, back years and years ago, the Europeans were using what's called a smart card dumb terminal while Americans were using a smart terminal dumb card. It didn't have that chip. That also is packed with information. And then the last one is called a a Wigan wire. Your your card is actually a transmitting device. It's the same technology that you use when you approach your car. And when you touch the knob, the handle, uh, it unlocks for you, or you can get inside and push a button and you don't have to insert a key. Um, it, it's a fascinating topic. The, the whole purpose, uh, security is inconvenient. That, that's its whole function. Um, and it's all time motion studies. Um, starting with the first car that was made. Well, didn't have to have locks. I mean, who's going to steal a car for <laughs> <sake>? <laughs> Especially when your favorite mode of transportation was the horse sitting out front. Yeah, I mean, there's only three people in town that own a car. And, you know, it wasn't going to be hard to figure out who, who had a new car. Uh, very funny. I'm not a huge
0: fan of the electronics in newer vehicles, um, especially after reading a novel titled One Second After. I don't know if you've ever read it. I have not. And it is, uh, the basic premise of it is this fellow lives in a small town up in the mountains, Um, not too far from a major city, he's
1: okay. Timmy is deciding that he wants to chew. Uh, Todd's the first person that he's chewed on, besides me. He's absolutely forbidden from doing exactly what he's doing now. He's playing with Todd. He's devouring him very gently. And tell everybody who Timmy is. Timmy is a 12-pound Yorkie, and like most dogs, he believes, He's a 200-pound uh, beowulf, a very sweet boy, loves people. Oh, he's a wonderful dog. He really is. And the only part of a body that makes any fun is the, the hands, because you know, that's, that's where all treats and toys come from. So if Todd tucks his hands behind his back, um, Timmy will be confused and he'll go away. Except he's not. <laughs> well, Todd's <laughs> leaning forward, so he's getting... <laughs> <gonna make it>. <laughs> <laughs> was
0: that you? Uh, oh, fun. that was this. That was the toy. <laughs> yeah. But to go back to one second after, what it ended up happening was um, one of the enemies of the the country, uh, not named in the, in the novel, um, set off an electromagnetic weapon. And everything that was run electronically stopped. And so the, the novel was how they progressed over a year or more and lived without having all that refrigeration cars wouldn't work, planes fell out of the sky, things like that. So it almost scares me sometimes that so many things have become so automatic, like my, my new mini, my new old mini that I told you about when I arrived where the locking system, um, doesn't function accurately anymore. And so it will lock itself when you shut the door sometimes, and then other times it won't. Or it is locked, and you go and you hit the button to unlock it, and it unlocks it for about a half a second, and then it locks itself. And, it, and you go back and forth doing ch 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 And what you have to do is beat it to the punch and uh, open it. And then it, you hear this click, 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 because it's angry at you. So I'm not a huge fan of that, but that's the way of the world. I'm so glad that guitars, although there are some electronic guitars now, I'm so glad the acoustic guitar, for the most part, is still pretty much what it's always been, although better because luthiers have learned how to enhance tone and so forth.
1: Now, what other guitars do you own? Um, that's a that's a really fun question. Um, if I if I go through the list, I will be one of those people that has more money than talent. <laughs> but but um, every guitar I own, with the exception of the first, has been a gift. Um, I have a 175th anniversary edition Martin, um, complete with mother of toilet seat inlays, and it's just a beautiful beautiful instrument. It was given to me by my mother, um, many, many years ago, whenever, well, I guess you could peg the year, just figure out how old Martin is. And mm-hmm. that was the year I got it as, uh, um, because I, I didn't want to, she wanted to give me money for, uh, helping her with, uh, everything in, in that, that she had a uh, difficulty doing, um, I'm, I'm not the only child in America whose parents ended their marriage, but as, as the fourth kid, which also happens to be my email address of 13, I uh, took it as a personal responsibility when my father left the family after 25 years of marriage. And long story short, um, it was a gift from her because I... You don't take money from your mother <laughs> for helping her. Now, if she had offered me, you know, chocolate chip cookies or anything with carbs in it, I'd have been happy to yeah. grab that. But, you know, you don't take money from your mom. What's the matter with you? Um, and then uh, over the years, uh, my wife, my dear, beautiful wife, Stephanie, has given me several guitars. I have a Spanish heel that uh, just plays beautifully. And... and she does the research and she gets qual- she she purchases guitars for me that I would not purchase for myself. You know, I think there's, I think there's a kid inside me that you know, um, I used to hoard candy when I was a child because we didn't get any, so I'd I'd buy it but I'd feel guilty and I'd keep it <laughs> in a drawer somewhere so I'd have it, you know, because if you eat it then it's gone. That's you know, true. Like a four year old, um, and uh, I have a steel guitar, which I'm relearning. Um, My father gave me a banjo that sat in the corner of our house for 50 years. Um, And then I have a a traveling guitar. So those of you who travel know that uh, it can be pretty rough on an instrument, especially if you're in a a plane. A a standard dreadnought is not going to fit in the overhead bin. So uh, I bought a uh, Ami. It's a parlor size guitar. So you can imagine that's a that's a smaller uh, instrument. And um, it's made by Art & Luthry, a company in Canada. Um, I think I may reverse it, but I believe they are also owned by Godin.
0: That's correct. Godin, Robert Godin is the uh, originator of that and his... Uncle or, I think it's an uncle, um, last name of Norman, who started Norman Guitars. Uh, the guitar, Norman, or whatever it's called. I own one of his recent purchase, which I probably should not have purchased, but anyway.
1: Those of you who listen to Todd's podcast know he is a walking encyclopedia of luthiers, guitar makers, and he's, he has collected more guitars than he can probably remember. Um, some of them, some of those purchases have made him cry himself to sleep at night. (laughs) The ones that Um, I shouldn't have sold are the ones that
0: bring tears to my eyes. Yeah, and then I've got just a variety of smaller instruments. And what's that thing with the little metal strips that you play with
1: your thumb? Uh, It's a kalimba. Kalimba. And uh, people call it a a thumb piano. I, I love that little thing. I wish uh, we we should probably be doing this podcast up in the music room. It probably would have been a smart thing to do. You're you're right. I didn't even think of it. This this is a device. It's a gourd with metal prongs attached to it, and like many acoustic instruments, um, it 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 makes music by resonating it. It um, vibrates the air. Uh, uh, or in turn, it vibrates the wood more more accurately uh, when you pluck the string or you uh, depress the little metal tab. So the wood is, uh, picture in your mind, it's hopping up and down at the frequency of the object that's vibrating against it. You can do a very interesting experiment with uh, uh, your telephone, for example. Play some music on your telephone, And then press it against a a wall, a large wall. Or press it against a cabinet with a thin wood veneer on it. And listen to the difference in sound. So that's what's happening with the kalimba. And the reason I love it so much is because um, lots of your listeners will say, Oh, I'm not musically inclined. And I tell them, Yes, you are. The kalimba is keyed. Uh, specifically to a scale. Um, This one is not the Midlothian. Um, It escapes me at the moment what key these these notes are in. But they match. And you don't need to know fifths and sevenths and harmonics to understand. So the person can take this. And it's just like, imagine playing just those five notes on a piano that are in sync with one another. And we... I will ask them to imagine their mind. It's a, uh, it's a very uh, Asian-sounding, uh, mellifluous instrument. Um, I'll ma- ask them to imagine someone running through a field. And then we qu- quiet down and say, just play the notes in any order. And it's just to watch their face light up as they create a beautiful piece, having never picked up an instrument before in their life. It's just a really fun thing to do, Todd's so,
0: so, so it, it it doesn't matter which order you play them in. they all sound in tune and musical.
1: No, and you're right, we should be in the musical <laughs> <laughs> because our audience says well we'll play it for Pete's sake
0: <laughs> the uh we, we we should have, but the um folks, if you're listening, you can go on YouTube, which is a wonderful thing. Um, you talked about, you know, doing the work on your guitar and, and you learned so much from YouTube. And I know that's a Google product and so forth. And there are some people who don't like Google and some who do. But what I love about YouTube is I get to see concerts that either I was too young to go to or I was working because uh, you know they were held in the summer, and when I, where I grew up, you worked during the summer, because that was where you made your money. Or I didn't have the money to go to, or my mom and dad said, you are not attending that concert with that friend who we don't like. <laughs> so, you know, it's wonderful. Now that brings me to a, a question, going back to your first guitar, and then your first good guitar, your Harmony Sovereign. Who were your musical heroes at that point in time.
1: Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blackmail you. What was the first concert you remember going to? Gosh. I know it was outdoors and you walked in the snow five miles barefoot. Uphill. Of, yep, to get yeah. to
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually, it was probably, believe it or not, a, a musical, not necessarily a musical performance. And it may have been something like West Side Story or something along that line. Because where I grew up in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, in Hyannis, they had the the Melody Tent, which was an indoor-outdoor, open-sided tent. Looked like a huge carousel. Seats all the way around. And the stage, which was circular, used to rotate, not 360 degrees, but it would go so that everyone in the, the tent at some point during whatever performance it was, whether it was a concert or whatever, was looking directly at the performance. And it would move very slowly. And I think one of the first times was probably something like that. It may not have been West Side Story, it would have been close. I don't think I actually went to a live musical concert. Gosh, I'm not even sure I did that in high school. It might have been
1: college. Wow. Well, the, your question was uh, influences. Um, my first musical influences uh, were shaped by my father. Um, uh, we had musical devices called record players, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know that's that's not an archaic reference. They're they're back with a vengeance for collectors because they're very cool. In fact, Todd and I are sitting about uh, 10 feet away from a phonograph, which you have to crank by hand to wind up the spring inside it. And uh, he and his lovely bride have spent evenings dancing in this living room (laughs) to uh, some very, very old 45s, uh, 72s. Um, So the first influences were um, Tchaikovsky, Nutcracker suite, um, Peter and the Wolf. Oh, yes. Um, and I remember being scared mm-hmm. when the uh, oboe started playing because it was a wolf, you know, just getting your imagination into it. The first guitar and uh, folk influences, of course, uh, came. Um, oh, you're, you're causing me to recollect out of the blue here, Todd. Um, I went to a summer camp. My uh, Our family didn't have any real money, but my father knew people who operated um, summer camps for disadvantaged children. And uh, two years in a row, he uh, w- was able to get uh, a spot for me at these camps for disadvantaged kids where I would go and... Get beat up by black kids for a couple of weeks in a row. (laughs) It was was funny because you know my first friend's um, first childhood friend was a black kid that lived on the other side of a fence for us, and he and I would take turns stealing uh, food from our houses (laughs) to share with each other. (laughs) So funny. Um, And the counselors played uh, protest songs. So it was, you know, Woody Guthrie Mm -hmm. and uh, the likes. And then as I got older, uh, one could make a choice between either going to the concert or purchasing the album because they both cost $5. Mm -hmm. And so I could go to Cobo Hall and uh, see Iggy and the Stooges playing with Jeff Beck and Jefferson... Starship mm-hmm. um, one of the first outdoor concerts I went to was in Ann Arbor Michigan and they they didn't have porta potties there was a there was a facility built you know it was bathrooms don't, don't get me wrong the story's not going to go south on it <laughs> so but it was behind the stage you know it was a kind of a hike and I went use the facilities and was on my way back, but they had changed the configuration. They'd put up some fences and barricades. so I thought, Oh man, I'm not going to be able to get back in. So I was cutting through the backstage area and there was gray slick. And I, uh, melted, you know, as, as only a 13 or 14 year old would do. And, uh, I announced to her, "You're Grace Slick." <laughs> um, she apparently knew that already, <laughs> and I and I just like a doofus I said, I, "I love you," and she said, Oh and she hugged me. Ah, yeah, I haven't washed my face since. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my brush with fame. Uh, well, you know,
0: I can't top that. That's 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 very very cool.
1: Yeah. So the the. Uh, you know, when you're in high school, your friends are more important than your parents. And we listened to um, Cat Stevens. My brother, Frederick, was way ahead of the pack. He had a talent for, for picking out these musicians before they became popular. And so it was Buffalo Springfield, um, which, um, Todd, what, what did that
0: band later become? Uh, well, this, it depends on on which, but the uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, yeah, and Young, and Young, yeah, and um, Bobby F- was it Fury. Um, he didn't do Crosby, Stills, and Nash, but he he came he he was some in some other group. But yes, that's that's really where most of them, Stephen Stills, and and, uh, my, and the group. My brother explained
1: to me that, uh, and I didn't believe him. He said, "Yeah, um, Neil Young." tried out for the monkeys, but he wasn't cute enough <laughs> <laughs> and so he didn't he didn't make the cut.
0: Well you know for his sake, I'm glad he didn't yeah because that would have um, well knowing the little I know of Neil Young from reading um, the book on Crosby Stills Nash and Young, the first time the director told him to do something he would have said, "Screw you and walked away. So it wouldn't have affected his career that much, but I'm glad he didn't get a chance to do that. That was a, um, it made each one of the monkeys, not necessarily necessarily the way they probably had wished, but it made them famous. And it's amazing to see that show now, as you know, sixty-five plus people. And see how infantile and stupid it really was. But at the time, watching it as a young person, I thought that was the coolest thing going.
1: Yeah, that's um, what what is interesting about those shows to me. You know, um, we, we complain about censors, uh, censorship now. You know, and I've got a T-shirt that you know, uh, pronounces my upsetness over that. But the truth is, we've always had standards. We've always had public standards up until five minutes ago, mm-hmm. and those. W- one thing that's I, I appreciate about those shows now, all the way up until even the seventies, is the, those standards of uh, language, personal comportment, decency, and how we treated one another, uh, even how married people and parents and children interacted those examples were there for you compared to um the latitude that we've given even our children you know mm-hmm. if, if you if you want to hear horror stories you don't have to go on the internet just talk to a teacher yes that is true i know, I know
0: many educators who are now doing something else for that very reason they just um, it it became less about educating than it did about other things. So they decided that that probably wasn't the spot for them any longer. Speaking of the monkeys, however, I did see, speaking of YouTube that I referred to earlier, they performed as a trio. This is after, um, what's his name, left the group, the banjo player turned bass player, Peter Torkelson or Tork. Tork. um, They were on the Johnny Cash television show. And sang a song that I had never heard them sing. And evidently it was from, at that point in time, a new album that the trio was putting out, which I don't think sold well. But it was amazing how cool and zany they were on someone else's television show. And then to see Johnny Cash join them and be just as zany. Because he wasn't known for being zany and kind of necessarily fun, other than a boy named Sue. So that was, was, if you get the chance, look it up. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. So who was the, was, like, was it the the James Taylor, the Paul Simon, the Gordon Lightfoot, the what, any solo singer, songwriter, guitar player that kind of made you stand up and say, I really need to play guitar more? Um,
1: It really... The, the wanting to play more, and then well, like all, all amateur musicians that have a passion for listening and, and playing, the guitar comes and goes in your life. Mm-hmm. There are times when the children are young, or your job um, absorbs your time and your talent. And that's fine, that, that life's supposed to be like that. You're not supposed to simply play all the time. And I, I would say Cat Stevens uh, set the tone, pardon the pun, for the uh, the style that I liked, that that cleanliness. I'm not a fan of, of heavy metal and thrash. Um, I know I know why it would appeal to a, a broad broad group, um, but it's music that leaves no space unfilled. Mm-hmm. And I like the clarity in it. Um, I've told Todd before, I I can't sing. And he disagrees with me, yes, you can. And so, uh, in deference to Todd, I can sing. And people who love me have said, stop. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I can sing, (laughs) sure. Uh, But um, it's it's caused me to gravitate towards finger style. And something I really enjoy uh, doing um, is trying to stretch myself so I'll hear a piece uh, and I'll I'll, I'll' I'll pick a piece that is way beyond my ability that day and if it takes me a year to learn it then that's fine um, and so that's what I do now do you play that
0: primarily on your your uh, Spanish heel or or which guitar would you tend to uh, use
1: it depends on uh, Whatever, whatever guitar will sound good. I love the steel guitar because yes, it's it's also called a slide guitar, mm-hmm. but that that wasn't its purpose originally. Its purpose, uh, for those of you who don't understand what that guitar does, um, the the speakers, if I may, use that that term originally, were these large brass horns that. Uh, amplified the vibration of the record that they were ultimately attached to uh, by a needle and this guitar the steel guitar has an aluminum a spun aluminum cone underneath what 's called uh, the bridge and it's di- it 's connected directly to that the bridge is that big hump that the strings uh, go over at uh, the mid to tail end of the guitar. The tail's the actual tail. The headstock uh, has the nut where the strings are tuned. So that middle piece gets the brunt of the vibration, if you will. And that guitar uh, uh, has that cone in it. And when you strike the strings, it communicates that directly to the cone. And it's very loud. It's a really cool sound. Again, we should We'll have to redo this podcast <laughs> as, a, as a rodeo of these instruments so you can hear the difference in how they sound. But its purpose was to compete with the band around it. Because the, the, the guitar is actually a very gentle instrument. You can play it loudly, but it, it starts uh, getting garish as you really start beating on those strings before the electric guitar was invented. And so I like that one for some very specific pieces because it's got that really gnarly sound to it. And I use the uh, the uh, Martin, the Anniversary edition. I I keep that tuned in Dadgad. Mm-hmm. For for you pros out there, uh, you know that uh, most guitars, a standard tuning is Easter bunnies get drunk at Easter. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pro tip. And uh, the D A D G A D is a uh, gorgeous sounding D chord that uh, um, you have to play in very specific uh, patterns, and uh, a gentleman by name of Eric Roche, R-O-C-H-E, Eric Roche, if you would like to look that up and find some of his music and give his uh, British widow some of your money, it will be money well spent, um, he he played a piece in Dadgad that just set me on fire when you when you think of acoustic music you know I, I, I like if I play that for for guests I, t- I always ask them what's the first acoustic piece you think of when you think of finger style what artist and what piece and it doesn't matter what they say they'll they'll you know Gordon Lightfoot or James Taylor and I'll say that's absolutely right it's um um, Van Halen and the piece that he wrote that he adapted is called Jump yeah. and it's just a, a, a stunning uh, piece so I, I, I really love that I like to play that um, so it took me a year to learn how to play in Dadgad and uh, I only I, actually I taught I only play two songs now in Dadgad I'm going to have to learn some more because it's such a beautiful tuning The other song, uh, not a song, the other arrangement was one that I wrote um, based on uh, how you learn any tuning, Um, whether it's a piano or a guitar. Now, people don't tune their own pianos, generally speaking, but you tune your own guitar. So first you learn how to tune it, and then you learn the scales in that tuning. Then there are chords, and then there are... um, um, arrangements. There are um, trills and fills, and you know, just just um, different um, picking patterns, if you will. And as I was performing these in order to learn Dadgad, so I could play this song, um, an arrangement emerged out of that, um, out of me warming up, so I get my fingers and my head in in that space. Um, so um, that piece is uh, called "Warm Up." <laughs> uh, apropos, yeah. So,
0: in when when you play in dadgad, are most of your chords one, two, and maybe three fingers, or is it more complicated than that?
1: They are. Um, they're they're generally in uh, three fingers that 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 age-old trilogy but they're paired all of them are paired uh, so all six strings are in play
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so i'm generally um pairing um two um uh, acoustically resonant uh notes with a bass line, which is also uh, in sync with Mm -hmm. those notes. So think of it as um, when you're tuning a guitar, uh, it takes place at the fifth fret. And then, of course, on the um, G string, it takes place on the fourth fret. But you can tune your guitar, and you should, um, on another octave up. And that's what led to me pairing octaves, um, I think probably four, all 14 octaves, all, all, all the way up and down the neck um, with each other, uh, just because it's so pretty and everything is, is in such sync.
0: Well, I know that Dad Gad, and I do play in Dad Gad, but I don't tune my guitar to Dad Gad. I use the partial shove, partial capo. And since I tune my guitar a full step down, instead of E to E, D to D, when you put that partial capo on the second fret, you're now in dadgad if you play above the capo. The beautiful thing about a partial capo is you can play behind the capo on the strings that are, the capo's not on. Right. It just depends. It works much better if you're on the fourth fret. The um, And I have tried to tune my guitar to dadgad and play the same songs or the same chordic, recordings that I do when I have the partial capo on which is effectively in dadgad and it does not sound the same to me so the few times I've tried it so I I give you credit for being able to work around it I think my patience is not there I need to sit down with it for a much longer period of time maybe like a half hour 45 minutes every couple weeks or whatever just to get more familiar with it, because I'm not familiar, but it is you're absolutely correct it's a very pleasing sound and Celtic music a lot of it is in dad gad
1: yeah you're you're pointing out it it's most likely the second d on your g string that is the missing piece mm-hmm. if you had two if you had two partials, if you try it there it's probably going to ah that's that's who's hiding from me <laughs> um and I see a lot of players do what you're doing, but I know I know why you go down a half step because that's where your voice sounds lovely. Right. Um, but they'll do, um, and I, I think I've heard you play in drop D occasionally. Take yeah. take the E so yeah. you, you can get a lot. Um, there's a piece I haven't done in a long time. Uh, she begs, she more in uh, drop D, and and that's a that's a really. A pretty piece to play it just changes the whole intonation it is it is amazing to me
0: how tuning that low e string down to d and then strumming a d chord because you can play all six strings yes whereas before you have to mute that low e because it just doesn't work with the d chord and it is the equivalent to to me the, one of the first chords i will play on the guitar like if i go to a guitar shop the first chord I will play on that guitar is a G. Me too. Because those two low strings um, just make or break the guitar for me because I like a guitar with a lot of resonant bass in it because I'm a soloist. So I don't have a, a drummer. I don't have a bass player. I need to fill that low end. I don't have an especially low voice, so I need that. And so that's the first chord. But... When you do tune down in to a drop D, boy, that sound that D chord sounds wonderful.
1: Yeah, you remind me the um on my Martin when it when it's amped, it's a fist fight. Yeah. The um the because the uh la- the last two notes and, and you're a consummate professional, I've heard you I've heard you make screaming cats sound like opera stars. <laughs> not always. <laughs> not always. <laughs> um, but that the the guitar will not cooperate and that's that's that uh anniversary edition. The other Martin that I have was a gift from my spouse. And um that is that's just the classic HD mm-hmm. 28 the uh, they're their classic herringbone dreadnought h standing for herringbone d standing for dreadnought
0: you know it's interesting when you you mentioned the um, that w- anniversary guitar the martin that it doesn't like to be amplified or it just doesn't i have two guitars right now which are acoustically sitting on the couch unplugged are my favorite guitars to play they're just easy they everything feels Great. Is that the Washburn? No, no. I have a believe it or not, a seagull.
1: Oh yeah, I've seen. And I've played that. I think you no, loaned it no, to me, didn't you?
0: No, that was that was a Blue Ridge that I That's lent right. to but which I also really really like. The and it's I paid so little for it, I can't justify selling it because I don't tend to play it that often. It's one of my songwriting guitars though, because it's very comfortable to hold. Um, you know, your elbows not way up. But this seagull, the reason I purchased it is. My favorite color is blue. And Seagull, for a period of time, had a, where they stained their cedar tops and their, their cherry, laminated cherry back and sides, they stained denim blue. Now they just do them in red and black and natural. Um, the very short-lived denim blue. I don't know why it didn't sell better, but it didn't. And so I saw this on eBay or Reverb, discounted, nothing wrong with it. And I think the reason it didn't sell is nobody wants a denim blue guitar. So I I purchased it. I love it. However, amplified, those two low strings, just I can't seem to get rid of the... And it's not dissonance, really. It's just, it's a organic feedback that's amplified. You don't hear it when you play it acoustically, but when you amplify it, it's, it's, it's very difficult. It's almost uncontrollable. And it's really sad because I want to play that on stage. One because it looks cool. I put one of those white mother toilet seat guards <laughs> on P-pitzert. it to make it look retro. So, oh well. So, why do you think you can't sing?
1: Um, it's probably fear. Well, that
0: is something that happens to probably ninety nine percent of performers. Yeah. They may overcome it. They may not. But that is the fear.
1: Yeah, there are. I have found some tunings that help. So part of it is technical, but <laughs> I, I people are saying, well, for Pete's sake, you can learn anything else. You can you can learn to sing. So I, I went to someone. I'm not going to name the the person who gives vocal lessons. It was a lady. Um. And I know some professional singers who do a great job. They go to her. Uh, Pete Looney's one of them, one of her clients. And uh, we had a lesson. And (laughs) this is horrible. Um, She let me know that um, she wasn't going to be giving me lessons anymore. (laughs) And uh, because of some health issues, uh, very, very serious health issues. And... uh, I, you know, wished her well, and uh, sometime later, a week or so later, I'm talking with Pete Looney, uh, who's a who's a great gig if you get a chance to go see him. He has yes. a million songs, and some of those guys it's just he br- he brings a crowd to life, I'm very happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I said, yeah, I was trying to take lessons from so and so, and I didn't tell him the whole story. He goes. Yeah, she's great. Uh, I had a lesson with her this afternoon, <laughs> and uh, so I think I told you, Todd, it, it's a clue when a uh, teacher or when a musician would rather fate, feign their own demise than give you lessons <laughs> and have to listen to you. Now she never said that, so that that's just summation on my part and. Taking a, taking a story and making it more fun. It just wasn't the right vocal teacher.
0: That's all it is. <laughs> I mean, think about uh, Yoko Ono. I haven't heard that many recordings of her. I hope I never hear it again. Yeah. But she has a fan base. So, or Tom Waits. Can you imagine yes, the first person yeah. who heard, heard Tom Waits? and thinking, That's coming
1: from the bottom of a trash can. That's interesting because I, I can mimic... I can mimic a lot of people, uh, work colleagues, uh, former presidents, um, and I can mimic some singers. And for a while, uh, just just for the fun of it, I would do, um, you know, like uh, I, I, I go on stage and say um, Bob Dylan uh, singing um, Madonna songs, you know, like a virgin making love <laughs> for the very first time, you know, and, I, and so I would do a singer doing another singer, you know, to, uh, um, and I, I could, so I could mimic other terrible singers. <laughs> well, you know, there are, there
0: are many performers who, well, and Bob Dylan is, is a good example. I have heard him like Tangled Up in Blue. was my favorite, one of my favorite uh, Bob Dylan songs. For a number of reasons. But when he sings that, it's in a voice that's unlike most of his voice in other songs. And I have this belief, and I could be totally incorrect in it, that a lot of his, that (sighs) was put on. That wasn't really, that's not really his true voice. Um, That that was done for effect. So what you could do, and I'm sure there are performers out there who perform as someone else. Um, almost as a comedy, and you've done comedy before. You're a very humorous person, as I told Carol, because I'm a little slow on the uptake a lot of times with jokes and things like that. And I said, you know, Carol, I'm I'm so fearful that that Chris is going to say something humorous and I'm not going to get it in time. And and, and I'll have to do an uh aha 10 seconds later or something like that. And she goes, no. She says, you just need me in the background because I get his humor. The uh, but you could do a comedy act, you know, where you do
1: three or four songs um, as someone else. I actually I did. That was that was a part of my shtick, as it were. Um, I, would, I would make up a fake song, but I would sing it to you know like, uh, oh, uh, Willie Nelson. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I never loved. You know? <laughs> <laughs> And if I never loved you, where'd we get the red-haired kid? You know, just silly stuff like that, which I haven't done in a million years. Well, but see, the, the average singer cannot do that.
0: So you do have a, a singing talent that the average singer does not. So going back to the baseline
1: is you can sing. It, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here smiling because... Um, It just dawned on me that um, my boys are all mimics as well. Ah. Because even as little toddlers, we would watch television shows and uh, mimic parts. Um, And I can remember my four-year-old in his car seat as we're driving through the German mountains. And... Again, my lovely wife, Stephanie, telling, uh, reprimanding her oldest and saying to him, what is your problem? And he was 13 at the time, and the four-year-old suddenly piping up, what is your quest? (laughs) And going through the next six lines of that movie, and my wife looking over at me, And and say, and she said, "What have you done with our child?" (laughs) And he he was so good that he could get he could be in trouble. And his mother, you know, and we're always very gentle with the boys. um, Use your words. And she would say, Matthew, I, I am not pleased. About that, in fact, I'm disappointed. And he would suddenly go into this Monty Pythian little old lady. You know, I shan't be pleased with you anymore. <laughs> and and he could get because uh, she couldn't help it. She she'd say, "That that's not funny." No, it's not funny a bit, you know. <laughs> and she would, she couldn't help it. She start, "I'm gonna kill you." <laughs> dead (laughs) I shall be pleased if I'm dead that's terrible
0: I just I just realized that well this has been a lot of fun thank you very much um I hope you've enjoyed it and you sound you sound wonderful
1: on mic by the way I will I will take your advice and I will start practicing pretending I'm someone who can sing well and and you can I've
0: heard you sing the um As I told Tommy 1M Wright, who's a good friend of ours, one time, and he was bemoaning the fact that everyone around him of at that point in time, there was about five or six of us kind of budding, performing singer-songwriters, he says, you know, he says, I, I, I desperately want to get gigs and perform and all of you seem to be getting them and, and, and I'm not. And so I keep asking people, what should I do? And they say, we well, should smile more and you should do this and you should do this. It says, I do all those things and it's not helping. And I said, Tommy, just be who you are. Yeah. And just do it and you will acquire an audience of people who like what you do because none of us can become somebody else. That's it's just, uh, we can fake it for a while, but that's, that's being dishonest with yourself and with the rest of the world and lo and behold about a year later when they have that um i've forgotten what it's called where all the the the, um potterers open up their shops over a a weekend or maybe it's every weekend for a month and i'm looking at the list in the 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 news post and it's performer tommy when i'm right performer tommy when i'm right i'm thinking i didn't get invited to those gigs
1: (laughs) (laughs) so he was able to do that so well said how many musicians have said I didn't it didn't start working until I quit faking it yeah
0: and for those of you listening the sounds that sound like we're both really hungry or have stomach issues actually it's Timmy looking out the window at a squirrel at a squirrel or another dog or whatever and this has been a lot of fun I do appreciate it and I look forward to seeing you more often now that we're kind of out of that or semi out of the self-imposed whatever you want to call it Jail. Yeah, we're now we're no longer in St. Helena. That is correct. So, thank you very much, folks, for listening to the uh, Wispy Mom Acoustic Radio podcast series. I love doing this series, chatting with friends and people because I've chatted with some performers who I respect, but I'd never actually had a conversation with, and it's been a whole lot of fun. I hope you're enjoying it. Um, the show is produced by me, Todd Middle Initial C. Walker, out of my generally out of my Frederick, Maryland studio. But today, and occasionally I go on location like I am today with my good friend Chris McLaughlin. And Chris, thanks
1: again for uh, letting me come over. What a pleasure. And uh, Next time, in the music room.
0: That is a good point. And we're going to finish up the show with a little bit of music. And I'm going to be self-indulgent. And hopefully if I press the correct button. Oh, first of all. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, this has been my good friend, Chris McLaughlin. They like you, Chris. And here we go with a little bit of music. Thanks again for listening, folks. Well, it was 3 a.m. and not a wink of sleep It got me close to me Just a red girl in a long white dress She's laying next to me You see, for 50 years I lived alone Content to be free When all along my heart had hidden
1: loneliness from me Then she came into my life And she opened
0: my eyes to light And all that was wrong
1: became right
0: You see, my ears were dead to the emptiness For all those many years I didn't have the common sense behind the Then she came along, she took a look at me and saw through all my fear She sat down and made me think
1: of all the empty years. Then she came into my life, my
0: life, my
1: life.
0: And she opened
1: my eyes